So when I was a kid, me and some other friends of mine, we used to make silly videos with Super 8 cameras. Now, some of you may be old enough to remember Super 8 cameras. Raise your hands if you know what a Super 8 is. Older technology, few of us nerding out on this thing. It was actually not really that hard to use them. They're pretty portable and they were somewhat easy to edit. Now, not as easy as current technology, but we were making all kinds of goofy videos. Some were very inappropriate. I was a much less mature person then than I am now, of course. I would never, ever. But these videos, uh, you can still see them every once in a while. and they're, they're very embarrassing. But we would do things like that, just silly stuff. And I, I got to tell you, I'm very thankful that those have never surfaced out on the interweb. I really feel for those young people in this room that are growing up with all this technology. There's like zero privacy anymore. But there was a day when everything wasn't recorded and broadcast for everyone to see. My friends and I would get into all kinds of trouble. My best friend growing up was a kid named Billy. And uh, Billy and I, we, we're, we still keep in touch, but Billy, his, his family owned a, a dairy. And it was a pretty big dairy. And then my family owned a grass seed farm. And... We had access to heavy machinery and, and welding equipment and guns and stuff. The, the, the fact that we're both still alive is, to me, a, a, a great miracle. That we both still have five fingers and toes, that we can talk with somewhat intelligence. We, we did so many things that should have never been done. But friends have, in the past, They've helped me. They've pushed me toward good things. Friends have also, in the past, pushed me toward things that maybe aren't so good. And I don't know that I'm alone in that. I think if we look around this room, if maybe your mind starts to drift to your friendships, the, the friends that shaped you early on, you may have similar stories, good and bad, of how friends push you one way or another. The reality is, the people that we spend time with do shape us. In fact, there's a scripture that we'll return to many times from the book of Proverbs. And it says, you know, if you want to walk, or if you want to be wise, you need to walk with the wise. I, I hashed it, but you know what I'm saying. If you want to be wise, you know, watch who you're associating with. Because your closest relationships tend to kind of, kind of play out in your life. You, you tend to take on those characteristics of the people that are closest in your life. So friendship matters. And if you think about it, as far as discipleship and, and following the way of Jesus, that even turns up the temperature more about the people in your life because they can help you grow as a disciple or they can take you off track. Relationships are so key. And that's why we're kicking off this series, Friending. Because I believe that God wants us to, to reawaken what, what has kind of been a socially distant year and a half or so. I believe God is calling us to healthy friendships, not just for the sake of, of, of being healthy people, but also healthy followers of Christ. That when those relationships become crucial. God does his best work in relationship. That's why we, we tend to promote groups and teams here quite a bit, because when you're rubbing shoulders with people, it helps you grow. And the hope is, is that we can help all of us, each other, grow. That's kind of what the purpose of a church is, or at least one of the main purposes of a church, is, is to have some camaraderie, have some people you're going through the trenches with, going through difficulties with, that can walk beside you. Because oftentimes, the people that are closest in our life have an influence on, on us. 
And so we want to be careful with that. But hopefully, in this time where many of us have been socially distanced, and, and I think it's led to emotional distance, this could be a time where we rekindle those relationships and really work on investing in those relationships. So glad you're with us. I'm Pastor Ben. If this is your first Sunday, welcome. It's awesome that you were here. We celebrate like this every Sunday, and there's a reason for that. Jesus Christ, born in a miraculous way some 2,000 years ago, lived a perfect life, did amazing things, taught amazing things, was crucified on a cross. But that Sunday morning, a few days later, he rose from the, je- the dead, and that grave was empty, and he changed human history forever. And so on the first day of the week, we gather like this. It's a chance to hit reset. Maybe it's a chance for you to take a deep breath today. Maybe you haven't done that yet. Just take a good deep breath. Science says it's good for us. Kind of, kind of resets us. This is a time where we focus in on Jesus. And specifically today, as we kick off friending, we're going to look at friendship and one aspect of friendship, with this, which is empathy. And so today's message is called All the Feels. So let's pray together and get going. Father, we come before you. We thank you for the beauty of friendship, the beauty of relationship. And Lord, coming out of this crazy pandemic, Father, I pray that each of us would reawaken our friendships, that we would invest in relationships. And Father, we know that you use those relationships to help draw us closer to you. And that is our hope today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let me tell you about this guy. This guy was very, very wealthy. This, this guy had a lot of things going for him. His, his businesses were doing extremely well. He was wealthy enough that people would get business advice from him. He had businesses in agriculture. He had businesses in livestock. He was doing extremely well. He had a great place. Uh, he, in fact, he had enough money that he could have extra places, not just for his home, but his, his kids he got, got a chance to, to have enough wealth to pay for his kids to have a home. Uh, things were going really well. Wonderful wife, family, kids. Things were, were going great for him. And all of the things were happening. He was doing well in the stock market. And, and all that was happening. And then, at some point, things started to unravel for him. It first started with a tragic accident that took the lives of a lot of his kids. Horrible accident. And then... Through a number of different circumstances, his businesses started to be attacked, either by theft or loss in value or just destruction from the elements. So he he began to lose his grip on wealth. He began to lose his grip on family, and and people deserted him. He He didn't have the money anymore. Eventually, his health started to fail. And... And he started to wonder, why, why am I even here? And he got to such a low point that even his wife said, you know, why don't you just curse God and die? Now, you might be familiar with the story now. It's the story of Job. And we don't have time to unpack all that you, you've got in the book of Job. It is a power pack of things we could unpack. But Job lost everything. His wife is kind of just saying, curse it all and die. And, but then something happens. In, in his worst moments, you can imagine him sitting there. The scriptures say that he's got like skin problems and, and, and things are not good. He's in a bad place. His health is declining. Everybody that was his buddy has left. You know, there's no more, no more Job food train going on. No more handing out the $100 bills. He's by himself. And the scriptures say that some folks came to hang out with him. 
and some friends that maybe had, had been, a, been a while since they'd seen him maybe, but they'd heard through the grapevine that some rough stuff had happened to their buddy Job. So they travel and they, and they arrive there and uh, they're there with Job. And you can just imagine Job's sitting there. He's got bleeding parts of his body. He's really frustrated. There's ash on his, his face because that's how they mourned. These friends... They come and sit with him. Not for an hour. Not for a day. The scriptures say that they came and they sat with Job in his misery for seven days. Now, how good are you at listening to someone tell you a story? I mean, how how often does your mind start doing this? How often are you quiet for an hour? When was the last time you sat for half a day and did nothing? In Western culture, we feel guilty for that. Like we should accomplish something. So something's not done. I can't admit that I didn't do anything yesterday. I will admit to you that I did nothing yesterday. I read a book. Okay? It's my day off. So I read a book. It's called Travels with John Steinbeck. It's pretty good. But... We don't admit that. We don't stop for anything. These guys sat with him for seven days. Can you just think about that? We don't do anything for seven days. We, we can't stand it if our food isn't done in two seconds. We, seven days they, they sat with him, and guess what they didn't do? They were just quiet. It's quiet in this room. They were just quiet. Didn't do anything. Now, if you know the rest of the story, okay, like, spoiler alert, okay, so the next 30 chapters, after they get done with their seven-day hanging out with him, then there's all kinds of dialogue that happens, if you know the story, 30-some chapters, and they're going back and forth, and they're giving him some bad advice, or they're, they're trying to figure out this process. What they're trying to figure out is, how can, if you're so good, Job, how can you suffer? And so they're, they're going back and forth on this, and Job's like, well, where's God in all this? And if you know the ending of Job, God does finally intervene. And he's like, well, Job, uh, I'd be happy to answer all your questions, but first of all, I want you to answer some questions. First of all, where were you when I set up the universe? Uh, And Job, uh, where were you when I figured out how the whole Leviathan thing was going to work? You know, the big creature in the sea, we don't even know what it was. But he starts asking questions of Job, and of course, what's Job going to (laughs) say? I got nothing. Now, at the end of the story, yes, he gets some of his wealth restored, Apparently, he's got family again. So we get some, I guess, some happy ending, I guess, to to that. But I think what most people totally read over is what I would like to refer to as that seven-day ministry of presence. They didn't say anything. What are you going to say? I mean, you've gone through this in your own life already. I mean, someone, I mean, a tragedy happens, a suicide, you got cancer, terminal, something. What are you going to say that's going to do really any good? One of the best things we can do is sometimes offer a ministry of presence where we're just going to sit in it and say, man, I don't know what the answer is, but I'm going to sit with you. Doesn't it sound good? Don't you need someone to sit with you sometimes when it gets rough? These guys sat with him for seven days, which, again, I'm still blowing my, this blows my mind that they were able to sit there and just be there with him. They felt what he felt. 
And yes, God sort of put things back together for him, but I don't want to miss that ministry of presence that happens. They saw him and they empathized with him. They felt what he felt. They, they sat next to him and just felt what it would be like to lose everything. Sometimes that's all people need. They don't need us to give them a bunch of sermons or, or tell them, well, you know, uh, God will make a way. All these weird, crazy things that we say to people. It's not helpful. Sometimes a ministry of presence. They sat with him for seven days, didn't say a word. When you look at the way Jesus operated, he tended to take this same approach with people. He tended to lean in and get to know people and feel what they feel. Jesus tended to tell us, he would tell his disciples and to us too, if you love me, you'll you'll love one another. And the word he uses is a Greek term that I won't bore you with, but the idea of that word is a love that puts someone else's needs above your own. Here's the problem. Sometimes we get going so fast, and we think we got it all figured out, and we think we know what that person needs, we don't even bother asking. So we just move forward and just assume all kinds of things. When we feel what people feel, and we love the way Jesus has taught us to, in John 13, again, love one another, Let's, let's read that real quick. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By, all, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Putting someone else's needs above your own requires you and I to know what they need. Now, what, does that inquire, what does that require? You've got to listen. You've got to like lean in close enough not to just assume. You need to know their needs, and that requires it's time and your, your, your emotional energy sometimes. Knowing someone's needs requires you to know them. It takes time, listening, feeling. But the big part of that is closing this. Remember that story in Luke chapter 8? There's a couple stories in there, but there's one that really stands out to me. Jesus is probably midway through his ministry. Things are going well. People are excited about this guy this, this obscure rabbi wannabe from uh, an obscure town, and he's starting to make waves in the ancient world. And he's teaching people things, but I think, truth be told, he's been doing some healing and making food. And that travels far. Free food, sign me up. People are excited about his ministry, so things are rocking. I mean, he, the disciples, they're, they're with him, and they're excited too because they're like, I get to be next to this guy, and he's like a mover and shaker. They're going viral. Things are going great. Twitter feed's going nuts. They're on their way in Luke chapter 8 to go to a prominent person's house to heal somebody. So that's kind of a big deal. His disciples, I kind of, I kind of picture them around him like bodyguards, you know, like, hey, hey, Keep, keep away from Jesus. Hey, you, you keep away. Don't even look at him. You see him hanging out around and making sure, you know, these yahoos don't get too close to Jesus. They're going through some crowds, and there's this gal. And she's been suffering for a long time. And we don't know how old she is, but she's been suffering for years with an ailment that causes her to, to lose blood. She's probably anemic she's hemorrhaging and she's been, she's been trying to go to doctors and they don't know what to do. She spent everything she's got trying to get well and she's desperate. And she hears that this itinerant preacher that people have been talking about 
is going to be in town. And so she does whatever she could to just get near him. And she's thinking, she didn't even know the guy that well, but she's thinking, well, if the stories are true, if I can just get close enough to him, maybe I could, maybe I could touch him. Maybe I could, maybe I could just get close enough. So the crowds are happening. Jesus is on his way to do this kind of high impact healing, you know, to, to make waves in the, the leadership world. And they're moving through, people are pressing in. And this gal somehow, I don't know how she got through the crowd. Do you? How does she get through? I don't know. Somehow she pushes through the crowd and she just touches him. Just for a brief moment. I don't even know how long she got. But it just, there happened to be a window of time. She touched him and he knew something had happened. And he stops. It like stops Jesus in his tracks. Do you know, when you have a need, it stops Jesus in his tracks because he cares for you. He stopped that crowd of people heading to that high-impact leader's house. And he stops because he cares. And this gal is embarrassed. And she's not sure what to do. And his disciples are getting frustrated. You know, they're like, hey, why are you you're wasting time? And Jesus says, well, no, wait, something, something happened. Someone touched me. And they're like, of course somebody touched you. There's like a million people here. He said, no, 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 I, I felt something. And you know who else felt something? She did. She was completely healed. I don't even know how she knew that. She was completely healed in that touch moment. And Jesus cared enough to stop the madness. He never was in a hurry, you know. He stops and listens and says, hey, did you touch me? And she's like, yeah, I did. He's like, you know what? Your faith has made you well. He, he, he stops and addresses a woman in public which was a no-no for a Jewish man anyway, but he stops everything and sees her need, and he cares. Now, when all this is happening, I'm sure his disciples are getting more and more frustrated. Why are we wasting time with this gal? Okay, great, she's healed. Uh, We've we got to get to this house, and then by, by, all that time happens, then somebody from the household comes to him. If you know the story, says, well, don't bother the teacher anymore. The person's already dead, and Jesus is like, you don't understand. You don't get it. Let's go. And he does the healing there. And it's just this amazing moment where Jesus feels what that, that gal needed. He felt the power go out from him. I don't even know what that felt like. Can you imagine that? Knowing that that happened, there's an exchange. She felt immediately healed. Now, I would love to know the rest of that story. Like, what happened to her, right? Who wants to know that? What, what happened to her? What story does she tell at every family gathering? You know what I'm saying? Because her family knows she's been dealing with this forever. They know it's a healing, without a doubt. He felt what she feels. That's, that's called empathy, folks. And that requires your time. That requires your attention. For you to stop enough to know someone's needs is going to require you to shut up and listen. And that means you have to also be close to somebody. That's proximity. Jesus understood this. And you know what? You look at Jesus. I mean, look, he had a very short window of time to do his ministry. He never seemed hurried, did he? Never seemed like he was in a hurry. Sometimes he would just be done with the crowd and go on a mountain to pray. He never seemed like he was in a hurry. And when people had needs, he felt them. I read an article a few years ago 
about this idea of what it means to feel what someone feels and the idea of empathy. Let me, let me read it to you a little bit. It, this is the ability to step into to the shoes of another person, to try to understand their feelings and perspectives and use that understanding to guide how we respond. Empathy is different from kindness or pity. Very different. In fact, don't confuse it with the golden rule. You remember the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I like what, what commentator George Bernard Shaw said about the golden rule. He said, no, wait a minute. Do not do unto others as you would have them do unto you because they might have different needs than you. But the only way you know that is by getting to know someone's need. The early church, as it expanded, you'll find this in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, as it expanded, people were helping each other with needs. And the thing is, the early church grew and blossomed because people got to know the need. They just didn't throw money out there. They got to know the need and help someone up. And I think sometimes that requires more of us than we're willing to give. That requires us to stop motion and listen. Jesus modeled this so well. In the New Testament, we see the, the value of empathy all over the place, that, that people could feel what someone else felt. You know, certainly in Jesus' ministry, but as the early church took off and the early church leaders would write and try to encourage the church all over the ancient Roman world, people like Peter and Paul and John would write these important messages about what it means to be in relationship and to, to know people's needs and to care about them. Listen to some phrases. This is from 1 Peter 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. A tender heart. Folks, that's, that's empathy. Paul wrote this in Romans 12. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. So there's moments where we feel what someone feels. Now, I'll pause here for a second, because in this series, we are going to talk about boundaries, because at some point, we do need some boundaries, too. If we're always feeling sometimes the, the difficulties that people are going through, sometimes it can, it can drain us. So we have to learn some, some methods to how, to how to do that in a healthy way. We're, we're going to talk about it in a couple weeks. But today, I feel like we've gone so far the other way, where we see some, somebody's need and it all stays up in our head. Oh, that's terrible. Somebody ought to do something about that. We stay up here and we never let it, like we never invest enough to feel it. And I feel like because we've gone so far the other way, it might be time to swing that back to feel what other people feel. John 11.35. This is probably the first Bible verse that most kids memorize when they're at Bible camp. It's two words. Come on. Jesus wept. Now you have them, you, now you know a memory verse. Jesus wept. The idea is he saw his friend. Do you remember what happened in John 11? A good friend of his passed away, right? He's looking around and seeing people really hurting. And he leans in. He doesn't lean back and say, well, that's too bad, y'all. He leans in. It was his friend, too. He leans in and he weeps with them. And I, I've been told by certain Bible scholars that the word for weep there is not like, a, oh, one of those. It's a full-on sob. He, he, he felt what other people feel. Jesus wept. And I love what Hebrews 4.15 says about Jesus and about how he models things for us. It says, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every way, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
Hebrews 4.15. So sometimes we get confused with empathy. We confuse it with another word that sounds similar. Sympathy. Empathy and sympathy. Have you ever gotten those words confused a little bit? I mean, I know I have. Like, what's the difference? What's empathy? What's sympathy? I don't understand the difference. Well, psychology today would say it this way, and this is not super heady. It's just a real quick statement. Empathy is the ability to recognize, understand, and share the thoughts and feelings of another person, sort of experiencing their point of view, whereas sympathy is similar, but it's more cognitive. Uh, so it's more like we're detached a little bit. We see common, the issue over there, we're like, oh, that's, it's a bummer, but we don't lean in to feel it. So it's more cognitive, less emotional investment required. It's kind of like you, you care, but it's from a distance. You're not really leaning in. Does that make sense? So sympathy, empathy, different. Now, now I want to show you something here. This is from Brene Brown. I think she had a, a TED Talk that went viral a year or so, a couple years ago, on the power of vulnerability. But this is uh, her definition of empathy versus sympathy. Check this out. So what is empathy? And why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions, where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. <laughs> Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, and climb down. I know what it's like down here, and you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, it's bad, uh-huh. Uh, no, you want a sandwich? Um, empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time. Because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. <laughs> John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. Isn't that good? Helping us understand the difference between sympathy and empathy. Now, some of you are going to be better at that than others. But I think there's a lot of healing that takes place when you can be a ministry of presence for somebody 
and to really feel what they feel and then to really know what they need. Too often we get too busy and we don't invest. So there's a couple of pro tips that I found. Uh, this is from a, a Berkeley University study that was much larger. I'm just going to give you the highlights of, of some ways to, to, to help develop empathy in your life uh, in, in healthy ways. And, and there's a few of them that I want to share with you. And I think these are, these are things that have helped me. And the first one is this. And this is something that I think Jesus modeled all the time. It's amazing to me when you read the Gospels, look at how few times Jesus preached at people. One of his big ways to communicate was asking questions. Because you know why? Because he's curious. That's the first one. Really foster curiosity in your life. You know that everybody's got a story. When you see someone or something happens, or maybe let's just talk about traffic. Someone cuts you off and you're angry. Or someone's not going fast enough or they're going too fast. You ever, you ever stop and go, you know, I wonder what the story is there. Have you ever had someone, as you've been driving along, drive so erratically and like fast, and it's like they don't see anybody else? And sometimes I get mad at that. My first reaction is, you know, come on, you're going to hurt somebody. But then the other day I had this thought that what if they're like, there's an emergency going on, and I'm sitting here judging them. There are things that are going on in people's lives. And again, that doesn't justify reckless driving. That's not all what I'm saying, but... People have stories, and being curious is huge. In fact, I read a whole book on being curious. This guy that built his whole career on simply asking questions. And he's super famous now, but all he did, he literally developed the art of asking questions. Be curious. That's a, that's a really good one. Because there's, there's stories that you need to know. You have, a, you have a story to tell. Be curious. Second one is this. Challenge your prejudices. Challenge, challenge, challenge your prejudices. We do this all the time. We paint people in big, broad, broad strokes all the time. And that's really, really disingenuous. We, we could challenge those prejudices sometimes and not just assume things about people. We've we got to get better at this. Challenge those prejudices. I mean, try to discover some common ground. Common ground is a good, good thing. So, so challenge those prejudices. Here's the third thing. Try, if you will, even if it's virtually, to walk in someone else's shoes. I mean, really try to go through that exercise with somebody. Someone maybe that's kind of getting on your nerves or that person at work or whatever's going on in community and you just want to you know, lash out. What if you were curious and you challenged your prejudices and you tried to walk in their shoes a little bit? What would it be like to have grown up the way they grew up? What would it be like to, to have had the same experiences that they had. Just walking in someone else's shoes can really kind of help us to see them as God sees them. So walk in their shoes. Here's the fourth one. This is probably the biggest one is listen hard. It's amazing to me how easy it is for us not to listen. Have you ever been in a situation where Someone asks you a question and you think you know what they're asking and so you start spouting off an answer and then they kind of help direct you to the fact that that really wasn't the question they were asking. Kids do that a lot. Where we think parents or grandparents, we think we know what they want, but they may be asking something completely different. Or, and this is something that Jackie and I have found as we, as we raised Emma and Dylan, was sometimes we're answering more than we need to. 
<laughs> we don't need all that information. Don't need all that detail. But listening hard. And when you really listen to someone, it's very honoring to them because they feel heard. Even if you can't fix it, you know, most of the time we can't fix stuff anyway. But listening, letting someone feel heard is amazing. That's true for kids, too. You know, many of us in this room, maybe we've, we've got kids, grandkids, or, or we've got siblings or other people in our lives that are raising teenagers. And there's a sense sometimes of pushback sometimes that teenagers give their parents or grandparents. The thing is, sometimes kids want to be just heard, listened to, honored, right? So listen hard. The last one is help other people value empathy. I mean, I don't know who those people are in your life that are just abrasive. Do you have anybody in your life that's abrasive that just seems to be on edge with everybody? Uh, and, and it's almost like they're, they're more happy when they're miserable. I don't know if you have anybody in your life like that. But what if we could take Jesus into those circumstances and say, really help them develop some empathy, to develop some humility, that, that, that maybe they don't know everybody's story. Maybe they don't have to jump to conclusions all the time about everybody all the time. There was a country song that came out a few years ago by Tim McGraw. I don't know why you got to be angry all the time. What if we could help move the needle for people to develop some empathy, to feel what others feel? I think we can do this. You know, when we, when we get that hug from somebody without words, when we get that encouraging phone call without an agenda, when, 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 when someone helps us out by just sitting with us. These are signposts of empathy. And I believe God is calling us to be more of that. Again, look, coming out of this pandemic, social distancing has led to emotional distancing. And I believe that Christ followers have a unique, incredible opportunity to be a healing third place for people. You got home, you got work, we can be a third place of healing where we actually listen and we're empathetic and we can feel what other people feel. One point today is this, empathy fuels friendship. Empathy fuels friendship. Embrace it. Maybe you need to pray about that this week. Lord, how, you know, Pastor Ben was talking about empathy. I, I don't know if I've got a lot of that. Lord, in, increase that in me. You know, you can pray and ask God for more faith. You can pray and ask God to enlarge your heart. One of the prayers that I pray often is, God, would you please break my heart for the stuff that breaks yours? And, and would you help me smile on the things that, that you smile on. God, enlarge my heart for those moments. And so maybe that's your prayer this week. God, enlarge my heart when I encounter someone that really needs me to feel what they feel. Even if you can't fix it, which most of the time you can't, you can have a ministry of presence because empathy fuels friendship. I want to pray for us here in a minute. Excited about this series. I hope you can stick with us for the rest of the episodes. We're going to be talking about a lot of great things, forgiveness, we're going to talk about boundaries. We're going to talk about all that. Uh, but ultimately, we get our cue on how relationships work and friendships work by looking at Jesus Christ. And if you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never, been, you've never said yes to being part of his family of faith, you could do that today. So don't leave without asking the question, taking the next step. But look, we can learn to do this better. We can be more empathetic. We can feel what others feel. And in so, loving them like Christ has called us to love them. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your love, your faithfulness, your mercies are new every morning. God, help us to, to lean into 
this idea of empathy and, and taking a cue from your son Jesus on how to love people. That, that he, he cared about needs. He felt what others feel. Father, help us to have your heart for people around us more and more. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.